Well, I want to begin reading in 2 Corinthians chapter 2, and we'll be reading verse 12 through 17, our opening text, 2 Corinthians chapter 2, verses 12 through 17. Verse 12 says, Furthermore, when I came to Troas to preach Christ's gospel, and a door was opened unto me of the Lord, I had no rest in my spirit, because I found not Titus my brother. But taking my leave of them, I went from thence into Macedonia. Now thanks be unto God, which always causes us to triumph in Christ, and maketh manifest the savor of his knowledge by us in every place. For we are unto God a sweet savor of Christ, in them that are saved, and in them that perish. And to the one we are saved, one we are the savor of death unto death, and to the other the savor of life unto life. And who is sufficient for all these things? For we are not as many which corrupt the word of God, but as of sincerity. But as of God, in the sight of God, speak we Christ. Amen, amen. If we could lay our Bibles down and ask God to touch us today, I believe God is wanting to talk to us and minister to some needs in the house. And I want my needs ministered to, and I ask God, just touches us. I know it's Tuesday night. We felt the presence of God, and I fully expect God to minister however he chooses to do so. Let's lay our Bibles down and talk to him and ask him to touch us tonight. Amen, amen, amen. I love you, Jesus. You may be seated. We're jumping mid-story, and for the sake of a little bit of background, I will go back on how this missionary journey started with Paul. It starts in Acts chapter 16. You'll find where the missionary journey is documented on how Paul gets started going the direction that we pick up in our text today, going to Troas. In verse 6 of chapter 16, I'm sorry, in verse 9, and it says, A vision appeared to Paul in the night. There stood a man of Macedonia and prayed him, saying, Come over into Macedonia and help us. And after he had seen the vision, immediately we endeavored to go into Macedonia, assuredly gathering that the Lord had called up for us to preach the gospel unto them. And so we find a vision being presented to Paul and a man compelling them, saying, there's not the gospel being preached, we need you to come and preach the word of God. That's an answered prayer. My friend, it's not just a matter of mailing a letter, but there was a people that had a hungry heart. 
And we find that God answered their prayer by presenting them to the man of God. And he sees a man of Macedonia. It's interesting. It doesn't say, hi, my name's Bob from Macedonia. Come and preach. He had the appearance. It says there stood a man of Macedonia. He had to have had a particular presence about him, a garb or uh, the way he was presented to where Paul would know, listen, I need to go where that man is at, and I need to deliver the gospel. And he said, come unto us over into Macedonia and help us. And we see where Paul begins to obey the word and begins to make his way there, and he by way of Troas, he expected to meet Titus. And he had sent him to Corinth and would soon be uh, writing his first epistle to Corinth around that same time. Uh, Titus may have delivered it, I'm not sure. But he stayed there in Troas some time and long enough to lay the foundation for a church. And then he begins to wonder, where is my brother Titus. And we find as we read on, and we'll pick it up in our text, in verse 12, he says, Furthermore, when I came to Troas to preach Christ's gospel, and the door was opened unto me of the Lord. Everybody say, of the Lord. So we find Paul there preaching under the anointing of the Holy Ghost, ordained of God to be in Troas, supposed to be there, ministering on his way to Macedonia. And he begins to wonder what's going on with his fellow laborer in the gospel, Titus. In verse 13 it says, I had no rest in my spirit because I found not Titus my brother. I found not Titus my brother. But taking my leave of them, I went from them thence into Macedonia. So we find that Paul basically ends a revival and says, I've got to go. I've been around church long enough where we've had revivals that went on and on. And eventually, you know, I've seen it happen where the evangelist says, Pastor, I, I can't. I have men I've been pushing off for weeks they're begging me, they're wanting me, they've been understanding, but I have to go to this church. I have a commitment I have to fulfill. Paul wasn't so kind. He was doing the work, and he began to look around and say, where is Titus? It's going to be a unique thing that we'll talk about tonight, and I pray the hand of the Lord touches us because I believe it's vital to a church that wants to grow. They have to wonder about where is my brother Titus. And you can apply that on the sister side as well. It's a generic term that we will be looking at tonight. We find Paul, he left Troas with the intent of finding Titus going to Macedonia. And he was dead set on finding his fellow laborer. When you go back and look on how he used his words and some of the, the verbiage that he used, 
it implies that his focus was such that you, in the intent of his language, it was interpreted as two lines that were destined to intersect to create a meeting. He left with purpose. He left with the full intent. I am seeking Titus and I will find Titus. We come to the focus of my message and I want to lay a few ground rules before anything I say is misinterpreted. So if you will bear with me for just a moment. The two hardest things in someone's life surrounding the church, the first one will be breaking away from sin and breaking the bondage and fully committing themselves to God and not to a church building but to the body of Christ. Because we sit here as the body of Christ inside of a structure. The moment you come to church and you want to just participate in religion and you want to say, well, this church isn't nice enough for me to worship God. I need to be in a cathedral so I can feel his presence. You have been wrapped up in religion. You have desired a place that you can go there as a sinner, leave as a sinner, and feel good about it because you're distracted by the own filth of sin in your life. I am perfectly okay, and we did it growing up in camp, and I know there's some people that can amen in the house tonight, going to the tabernacle, and going and snotting your nose during senior camp, and and it'd be sweltering hot and people would run the aisles in that carpet up front that I believe was nasty mustard yellow and Kansas dirt brown. Someone run the aisles and it was like clouds of dust coming up. You lay down on it when you're praying at altar call and you get up in your black suit. Looked like you had laid against a chalkboard. And, and you know what? You didn't care. You didn't care. The presence of Almighty God swept through that place and you had no cares in the world but just you and God. That is what it's all about. But the hardest thing that a sinner will face is breaking away from sin and saying, I'm done. Some are like ping pong, back and forth, back and forth, back and forth, in and out of the presence of God. But there has to be a moment when you say, enough's enough. I'm done. This is a definitive moment in my life. It will never happen again by the help and the grace of God. Pastor's been teaching us by living by faith. If you have these things, you will not fall. There is a successful formula. It's not a hidden mystery. The Bible clearly lays it out. The bishop has been going through the word of God and sharing it with us. The other thing that should be almost impossible, almost impossible, and I'll give the caveats in here in just a moment, is for someone to walk away from the church. It should be harder 
for them to say, I'm done, than it is for them to break away from the world. Because the world doesn't pray for them. The world doesn't wrap their arms around them and cry with them. The world doesn't text them or call them and say, how are you doing? The world doesn't get down on the altar and say, listen, we've got this together. I've got your back and we're going to make it through this trial and we've got this. Don't give up. The world doesn't do that. The world says you got to be filthy like me. The world says you got to be addicted just like me. I can't let you have happiness because I don't have happiness. It should be harder to leave this church than it is to come in. Because there's love. There's peace. There's something about it that grips your heart and you crave it. For the sake of clarification, this is not addressing those who move or are sent with the blessing of our bishop and send them in his blessing, their destination, all those scenarios that surround that. This focus of this message is on the saint of God that decides they cannot go forward anymore in Christ. Titus, I'm calling your name, Titus. We cannot let people walk out and say, I'm just done with church. That should be curse words. That should be the worst language you could ever hear. Enter into your head and strike your heart and grieve your spirit. I want to talk to the spirit of, that abides in every church. Since we're here tonight, we'll talk to the one at Truth Church. The one that says, I guess they're done. That's their decision. They're an adult. They can go do what they want. I'm here to tell you, that's not enough. Because if I ever, if I ever, ever, and I prayed of God, it never, never happens. Say those words. I pray that the church pummels me and keeps me and drags me to an altar and throws Kleenexes in front of me and wipes my snot and there's hands placed on my head and they pray me through and say, you can't, you can't, you have to stay. Find it in your heart. You have to resolve it within you. I pray the church is for me if my flesh that I pray never happens says those words. We have to be there as the body looking for Titus. Titus, where are you? I could look out and call names and there would be people that are not here to respond by one reason or another, not judging but just saying names can be called out over the years. Every church, every church, regardless of the church sign, can say, if we only had everyone who came, we would be packed out and we would have building upon building. The church cannot hemorrhage the body and let it just walk out and say, that's their choice. Maybe they'll be happy somewhere else. We have to go down 
into the pit of hell and drag them out. I don't know if you know this, but as a saint of God, filled with the Holy Ghost, you are fireproof. Not to where you cannot fall, but it's to where you can go there and say, listen, I don't care what sin you've committed. My God is greater. You don't go there and judge. You go there to help. You don't go there and say, well, you made that mistake. You say, how can I help you get out of that mistake? You don't go there and sit there and look with disdain, run into them at Walmart and say, look at them. Look what they're wearing now. Look how they're acting. Look who they're hanging out with. Our spirit should grieve and we should say, no, no, that's not right. And you don't have to preach and put your finger in their face. And you don't have to say, you know better. All you got to do is say, this church is praying for you. We are here for you. We grieve you. We need you. You want Bible? I'll give you Bible. Acts chapter 1. Acts chapter 1 and verse 12. Be reading through several verses of Scripture. We'll give you proof. Acts chapter 1 verse 12, then they then returned they unto Jerusalem from the mount called Olivet, which is from Jerusalem, a Sabbath day's journey. And when they come in, they went up into the upper room. There abode both Peter, number one, James, two, John, three, Andrew, number four, Philip, number five, Thomas, six, Bartholomew, number seven, Matthew, number eight, James, the son of Alphaeus, number nine. Simon's Lotes, number 10, and Judas, the brother James, number 11, and Judas, the betrayer, is not among the number. And these all continued with one accord in prayer and supplication with the women and Mary, the mother of Jesus, and with his brethren. And in those days, Peter stood up in the midst of the disciples and said, the numbers of names together were about 120. Men and brethren, this scripture must needs have been fulfilled, which the Holy Ghost by the mouth of David spake before concerning Judas, not the one previously mentioned, which was guide to them that took Christ. He's the one who betrayed. And we see in verse 17, for he was numbered with us and had obtained part of this ministry. And now this man purchased a field with the reward of iniquity and falling headlong, he burst asunder in the midst, and all his bowels gushed out. And it was known unto all the dwellers at Jerusalem, insomuch that that field is called in their proper tongue. I don't even know how to say it. That is to say, the field of blood. Verse 20. For it is written in the book of Psalms, Let his habitation be desolate, and let no man dwell therein. And his bishopric, let another take. Here we find everybody gathered together to replace Judas. We had 12 apostles. One betrayed everybody, betrayed us. And they're down one, and they've come together to select a replacement. When someone leaves the church, there is still a void where God wants their soul to dwell. 
there is still a void. When we look in this verse of Acts chapter 1, verse 20, it says, and his bishopric let another take, that is referencing the office. Uh, it can be filled, and that's what they did for Judas. And But for the sake of the kingdom, someone can step in and take their place. If someone was doing a task, responsibility in the kingdom of God and helping in the local assembly, and they were to leave, it tells us that someone can step in and fill the gap and take that place. And we find as you read on, which we won't, as you read on, you'll find that there were two names submitted and Matthias was chosen as they selected who they wanted to have to be the replacement to Judas. And so a biblical principle supplied. What we find is, is they said, you can no longer fill his dwelling place. And no one can take your place just as they were not able to do that. It's referenced in the book of Psalms and says so here in the book of Acts that you cannot take their place. But in the heart of God, none of us can take the place. Because when one child of God gets discouraged and besides I've had enough and walks away, it grieves the heart of God. But he doesn't say, it's okay, I've got millions of followers, it'll be okay. He doesn't say that. It grieves the heart of God. And so should it grieve the heart of the body of Christ. No one can take your place. No one. Nobody can take your place in this church, in this body of Christ. I don't care how insignificant you think you are. The moment you don't show up, you're noticed. Where is? I wonder what. Let's pray for. I'm going to reach out for. I'm going to talk to. I'm going to hunt them down. I'm going to find them. I hope they're okay. And you go down the list. They replaced Judas. But they could never say, Matthias, you've taken his place in the kingdom and in God's heart. Judas, oh, Judas. We'll talk about him some more. In John chapter 13, we find the betrayal that Judas, he tried to do so much. And he ended up doing so very little for himself, but so much for all of us. I will hopscotch through some scriptures for the sake of time. In John chapter 13, verse 21, when Jesus had thus said, he was troubled in spirit and testified and said, Verily, verily, I say unto you that one of you shall betray me. Verse 26, and Jesus answered, says, He it is to whom I shall give a sop, and when I have dipped it, and when he had dipped the sop, he gave it to Judas Iscariot, the son of Simon. And then after the sop, and after the sop, Satan entered into him. Then said Jesus unto him, that thou doest, do quickly. And then it goes on to say in verse 30, he then having received the sop, went immediately out, and it was night. Judas 
had made a conscious decision. I'm going to betray the Savior. Where did Judas go wrong? It's all just our opinions, but you can flip through as Brother Nelson so graciously preached on Sunday night about all the things that the disciples seen. But somewhere, somewhere, the miracle became common. Somewhere, the miraculous became common. Somehow, somehow, a disciple that seen what the Bible says, there's not enough books to contain all the works that God did here on earth as he was Jesus Christ wrapped in the flesh and walked among us. Judas then decided he really wasn't that special anymore. It became common. But had Judas just hung around a few more days, had it been somebody else, but had Judas even hung around for just a moment, he would have heard Jesus say in verse 31, Therefore, when he had gone out, he was gone out, Jesus said, Now is the Son of Man glorified, and God is glorified in him. And he begins to tell him in verse 34, A new commandment I give unto you, that ye love one another as I have loved you, that you also love one another. By this shall all men know that ye are my disciples, if you have love one to another. Had Judas only hung around just a bit longer. He tried to make it right. He really did. What's so interesting about this story, no one knew what Judas was doing. They seen him with the bag, and when Jesus said, whatsoever thou doest, do it quickly. Judas gets up and walks out, and they said, well, maybe he's going to take care of business. Maybe he's going to give to the poor. Maybe he's going to go get supplies. They had no idea that someone in their midst walked out and betrayed every one of them. But there were somebody that did. Somebody who was laying on the breast of Jesus Christ. He let him know who it was. It's, hey, 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 John, my beloved, it's he who I'm getting ready to hand this to. Pay attention, John. This is very important, John. You're going to write about this, John. Yes, Master. The reason John knew what happened, John was hearing the heartbeat of God himself through Jesus Christ. He was in the moment where he wasn't saying, oh, this is great bread. Where did we get this from? Panera? No. St. Louis? No. Same company, guys. No. He wasn't going down that dialogue. He was saying, Master, Master, speak to me. Speak to me. It was because his ear was on the heart of God. Saints of God, no one should leave the church at any state, any phase, any place in their life, and it be a surprise. 
we should all be saying, something's a little off. Brother, can I pray for you? That's how the body responds. When you do that, you know what you're doing? Your ears next to the heart of God. You're not trying to pastor. You're trying to love, just like Jesus told us to love one another. No one should be able to walk out and then say, I didn't have a clue. You hear of people that mass murderers and, oh, he was a great neighbor, have no idea that he had bodies stacked in the basement. And people, neighbors said, he was such a fine person, he always waved at me. It's all of those comments that happen after a tragedy. Saints of God, we're in the soul-saving business. There should not be tragedy. It should be a rarity, not common. We have an obligation. We have an obligation that we are there for one another, no matter what it takes. No matter what. I say this because there may be a day when I will, or my family, or somebody I love, will need this church. We need to have a pulse on things. Bishop should not be the only one that carries the burden of trying to make sure everybody's staying strong in Christ. That's not his burden alone to bear. We are the body of Christ. We move together. We minister together. All of us have a responsibility to minister. We all have a ministry. Just because you don't go to the pulpit or teach a Sunday school class. Everybody has a ministry. Everybody has an obligation. I'll bring this to a close. We find in 2 Corinthians... The story is beautiful. 2 Corinthians chapter 7, verse 5 and 6. Beautiful story. We find Paul writing, and he says, For when we were come into Macedonia. So Paul is now in Macedonia. Our flesh had no rest, but we were troubled on every side. Without were fightings, within were fears. Paul was a wreck. Paul had been through hell and back. And he pins this letter in verse 6. Nevertheless, God. Nevertheless, God that comforteth those that are cast down. Paul's saying, I'm cast down. It's that God who lifts up those that are cast down. I'm writing about him. He comforteth those that are cast down. But he comforted us, us by the coming of Titus. Titus, where are you? And Paul was beat to the ground. He was beyond what he says. He says it was, it was on the outside and then on the inside were fears. There was battles and fightings and troubled on every side. This is a saint of God, but he still wants to know, where's Titus? Saint of God, 
I don't care how bad your trial is. We still have to look for Titus. We still have to say, where's my brother? Where's my sister? Look at, oh, there's their house. No one's home. I will be back. We cannot forget about our brothers and our sisters. Why? Paul didn't say, woe is me. My flesh. Oh, God, my flesh has no rest. I need 11 solid hours, and I've had nine. I can't even. Paul didn't do that. Paul says, I have no rest. Trouble? Oh, yeah. 360. Trouble on every side. Without, oh, fightings, people dying, fears, wretching my heart. Where's Titus? Where's Titus at? I, I, don't, I don't see Titus. He goes and looks and where's Titus? He was so focused that his own personal problems didn't keep him from doing the God of his, uh, the, the kingdom's work and allow him to reach down and say, oh, well, you're okay. You've had a rough trip. Uh, this is not a good place for you to come and you might want to go hide for a little bit and, and you might want to go find a place to hide out and we'll find Titus. No, he says, but God comforted me by bringing Titus into my life. The coming of Titus. Here's something else about Titus that was interesting. He was doing the kingdom's work as well. He brought, and it goes on down, and we won't talk about it, but he goes on to say that he brought back good news. Corinth? Hey, Paul, there's a church. Hey, Paul, they received your letter. Hey, Paul, they're strong in the Lord. They received the word of God. And Paul said, I'm glad to see you, but I'm also glad to hear your report. Thanks be unto God. And I'm sure the greeting that Paul gave, he was, had anxiety about Titus. I'm sure it wasn't, hey, bro, fist bump, safe travel. I am sure that they were the biggest bear hug you could imagine took place. It was something that you look at and they say, they truly care for each other. Paul didn't say, just wave from afar, I found him. Hey, I'm going over here to Lydia's house, the seller of purple. We're going to go over here. No, it was, I have found him. Saints of God, there are names that if you had a piece of paper, that I'm sure all of us could begin to fill up a page of Titus. It should be a shame for them to walk out these doors and only hear from Pastor, only hear from Sister Riggin. That should be an abomination. Because the body stopped caring. The body rejected it, one of its members. It's not always our fault. I'm not saying that. But they should trip over us, walking away from God. 
And just because they're gone one service doesn't mean God is not done with their life. And they're going to need us just as much and actually even more when the seven times comes in and attaches to their life and finds a house clean. And one devil goes and grabs his imps and says, let's take up residence here. It's Bible. They leave. They're going to need us even more. And we can't say they're too far gone. We have to say, no, God has this. It's in his hand. He knows what's going on. Now, when I started this message, I said that I was going to preach something that I believed was vital for a church that was going to grow. A part of a church, and I am by no means an expert, but been around church long enough that you're never going to have the same consistent number for 20, 30, 40 years. It's going to ebb and flow. But the church has to be here for the ebb and flow. Because there may be somebody that they're in and out, and I can call a name of a lady that I remember it was like a revolving door. But the church had to be there for her every time she came back. Because one of those times, it may just stick. It may just be the one where she says, I have resolved in my heart. I will never walk away from God again. He has been too good to me. My testimony is too rich and full. He has been so gracious. I have evaded death so many times. I can't gamble it again. The church has to be here. How would you feel if you had a dire need in your life? Rush to the emergency room. And there's a sign on the door, close, be back in an hour at lunch. You would bust that door down. Reminded of something, if I know, I don't bring it up. I don't, honestly, I don't, it's not something I've talked about a whole lot with my family. I may have mentioned it in passing. Um, Labor Day last year, I, we had a, so it's a little over a year ago. Um, I had some information shared to me uh, at work, and they said, listen, uh, we, we need you to look into this. And so uh, they gave me some background on what it was. Sister Tori, if you would come, I'm almost done. And, uh, and they, they said it's a pretty bad accident, and, and it's not one that you probably want to uh, be a part of, but we really need you to look at it and figure out what happened. And so... Uh, I began to uh, remote into everything, all the equipment, and that was just, it's just a small percentage of small tasks that I do on occasion. And I began to go through and pull all the data and all the tapes and, and get video and all the black box recordings and all the data. Where was this at? Where was the locomotive at? And began to track down what was going on. And uh, they said, well, what happened was there was... Um, some young ladies, they were there with their family in this town in Mexico. And uh, the train tracks run right through the middle of town. And it, this town is a spiritual journey and it's a Mecca. And these people come there from all over. And it's a very spiritual thing. And there's some, even some 
plants that they go and I believe they smoke uh, the plants and only certain people can, the indigenous people that have, trace the roots back to the Aztecs or something like that. So it's a very mythical, mystic place and people go there and it's supposed to be this great experience. And it's like a Mecca that they go to every once in a while. And uh, We had a, a train going through the middle of town and uh, I began to uh, pull the videotapes and it, it just broke my heart. Uh, it's forever etched in my memory. It's one that I, even though I wasn't on the train, I seen from their perspective what happened. There was a young, a group of young people and they were on the tracks and uh, they blew the horn and everybody scattered, left the tracks free and clear. Trains going about 38 miles an hour and flat track, wide open. Everybody could see what's going on. And one of the girls, uh, she was 28, and um, she decided she wanted to take a selfie. And she had her back to the train, off to the side of the tracks. And her 12-year-old sister was right there next to her. And the train is barreling down. And they hold the phone up, and they decide it's really cool to take a selfie with a train coming at them and they're going to video and I see a girl in mustard yellow pants and black shirt reach for the 12 year old the 12 year old pulls her hands away and you see the crew just grab their head and you had two people lose their life because of a selfie and I looked at the expression on the crew members as they grabbed their head and lay their heads down on their consoles in this locomotive and just broke their hearts. And I have that image right before the train hit. I see the girl that was 12 pull her hand away from the girl that was trying to help her put her head in the frame and that's when it all happened there will be people who refuse help there will be people that when you say hey it's better on the inside than it is on the outside there will be people that will think no it's glorious look at me now look at what I get to do and it costs them but there are oh, others that heed the sound and they say, all right. And all those people that backed away were safe. There will be carnage. You will experience pain looking for Titus. You're going to be troubled without. Your flesh is going to be weary. It's going to be fear on the inside. But that moment you find Titus, it's glorious. Because you say, welcome back home. Don't ever leave again. This is the best thing that's ever happened to you. And you say, we can make it together. We are in this together. People will say, oh, I like doing this. I'm never coming back. 
look at what I can wear and what I can do and what I can say and all the people that really love me now and see life coming down the track at 38 miles an hour, a mile-long freight train, and smack them, and you don't even know they're there. And life just keeps on going. The carnage is there next to the tracks. And people say, did they not hear the horn? Did they not hear the voice of the preacher? Did they not hear their name, Titus? Titus! I'm calling your name, Titus! Did they not hear Titus? Yeah, they heard it. But they chose the fame. Look at the two girls that risked their life to get a selfie by a speeding freight train. The family now has two people that made a loss in their life that's significant, left a void. The church doesn't have to be that way. Because when God gives us strength, we can reach in. We can go into hell with a water pistol. Bishop can go to bat and say, no devil, they're ours. We're dragging them out whether you like it or not. We're family. They're a part of the body of Christ. Can we stand today? God's given promises to countless people in this church of family members and friends. Don't give up calling their name. Titus should ring through every prayer you pray every day. You should say, Titus, Susie, Bob, Wally, Ralph, Barb, Jesse, Clint, Jason, I'm calling your name, Titus, because I love you. God has a plan for all the loved ones in your life. We cannot stop being used of him. Even though God called him and was pouring out revival in one city, Paul said, this is so important to me. God, give me strength. I'm going away from revival. I'm not disobeying you, but there's somebody I have to find. Saints of God, etch Titus and those names that it represents in your heart. Can we lift our hands and talk to him tonight? We love you, Jesus. Hallelujah, hallelujah. I worship you, God. I worship you, mighty God. God, let a burden be down deep in our heart. Let it grieve our spirit every time someone says, I'm just not strong enough. But His strength, His grace, His mercy, His arm is never short. It never falls short. It's always there for us. Cast your cares upon Him because He cares for us. Let their words resonate within your heart and you say, no, you can't. We've been through too much. Your testimony's too real. It's too powerful. God loves you too much. We can't replace you. Don't ever forget their name. Because when we have the attitude that they can walk and God will send another, it'll just be a revolving door 
at True Church. We have to work on retention. Plug the holes. Build a fence that has no holes in it. It's done with love. Jesus told us, love one another. Let your heart be filled with love. So that we love each other so much that we're willing to go city to city, town to town, crying their name, Titus. Where are you, Titus? My fellow servant, my fellow laborer. I love you, Titus. Where are you? We have to have a burden for souls. More than just saying, yeah, I go to church with them. I love them. Let's lift our hands and talk to him tonight. More than just casual prayer, let's talk to him. God is trying to help us tonight. We love you, Jesus. Hallelujah.